Next on Out of the Blue from Middle Tennessee State University, we explore the research into the medicinal benefits of hemp. We discover a professor's research on how your diet can fight aging, and we ponder the diminishing role of facts in daily discourse. That's Out of the Blue from Middle Tennessee State University. I'm Andrew Oppmann. Hemp and marijuana may have a lot in common, but they're different in many ways. And here to help explain the difference is Dr. Elliot Altman, who has for years studied the application and potential benefits of plants used in ancient or traditional medicine. He directs the Tennessee Center for Botanical Medicine here at MTSU. Welcome to Out of the Blue, Elliot. Thanks, thanks for having me. You've been called by a lot of experts and a lot of legislators to kind of talk about the difference between hemp and marijuana. Let's start with that very basic. Explain those two terms and what do they mean? So first off, there, there is confusion and probably rightfully so because both come from the same plant, cannabis. But like many plants, there are thousands of varieties of cannabis. So you have your marijuana variety, which is gonna produce THC, the psychoactive component. Mm -hmm. But then you have a flip, which is the hemp variety that doesn't produce THC or very little THC, but it produces CBD, which mm -hmm. is nine psychoactive, but people have found also has important medicinal benefits. And at the center, you've been studying CBD and specifically how it can be applied, like you said, in medicinal benefits. Talk through some of those benefits. As you pointed out, we have a history of knowing how to break apart medicinal plants, find out what their components are, what can those components do, what medicinal properties they have. So we were challenged by a group called Greenway Herbal Products. They gave us a $2.5 million grant and literally challenged us, tell us what hemp does. We don't care what you find, we just wanna know if there's something there. So our initial step was to purify all the cannabinoids, non-psychotropic cannabinoids mm -hmm. that it makes, mm -hmm. and other products such as terpenes, and put it through the paces. So at the center, we can do antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, anti-cancer, immunomodulatory activities. And when you're talking about the immune system, you can have an anti-inflammatory agent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you can have an immunostimulant. So you can take the immune system both ways, either turn it on, turn it off. When we put the cannabinoids, of which one is cannabidiol through its paces, it was very clear that what CBD shines at is being an anti-inflammatory agent. The commercial applications of that, I know that's what the company that gave us the grant is looking for. Right. What will that eventually translate into? Where, where would this discovery get to become something that I might be able to purchase it as a consumer? There's no guarantees for the consumers. And one thing that Greenway wanted to have us do is, could we develop testing methodologies that could ensure the bioactivity of the CBD that they sold right. or other cannabinoids that they sold. That obviously has to be a pride point for you, Elliot. Number one, that's what we were established to do. So it's nice that we're fulfilling our um, obligation. But it, it's great for MTSU. I'm happy to see us do things like this. And with that said, it's a large team that works on this. So at the TCBMR, we have 12 professors. It's an interactive relationship. We have chemists, we have biologists, 
they work together. So it's not just me, I'm just the ringleader. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about the center. You and I have been fortunate enough to travel to China. The process that we are known for, when you say we study those, those anti-effects, anti-this, talk in a layman's term, what does that mean? How do you take a plant and decide and determine if it's actually something that's gonna help me? So, so what we do, is we start off with a plant extract that the chemist prepares. And they'll make this extract a number of ways to make sure they're extracting all the potential active compounds. Mm -hmm. Then the biologists get handed the extract from the chemist and we put it through its paces through a number of assays where most of them use human cells if appropriate mm -hmm. because we obviously want to develop product for humans. So that would be anti-cancer assays, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and again, as I said, we, we not only do that, we do antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral, so we can do all these assays. If we tell the chemist that, wow, extract number three, that's really doing something, it's got some antiviral activity, they take it back and they start further purification and they'll send us maybe another 10 extracts that came from number three. And then we might tell them, wow, it's number C, 3C, that's the one we want. And then they'll go a step further and purify the final compounds in the back test. We let them know compound 17, that's the one. And then they can do um, identification, purification, synthesis iterations of that to come up with a potential, a potential drug. You know, this has been one of the things that, that's helped define MTSU in the research world. We've done a lot of reporting on it. And I also know it's created uh, great opportunities for students yeah. that have worked for you. Talk about that kind of learning laboratory that the center provides in this kind of study. So collectively, um, we probably have 40 students now, ranging from undergrad to master's to PhD students that you know, work on different projects, different aspects of the research. And it's been a lot of fun to see the group develop, become interactive. And even the students amongst themselves will talk and come up with different ways to collaborate and say, well, could we do this? And it's really nice to see you know, chemists and biologists working together. They have different strengths and you put them together and you get you know, better than the sum of the whole. When we're describing a lot of these products, I've noticed there's a distinction between a medicine or something that would be prescribed and a remedy. Can you help our viewers understand the difference between the two? So a drug is gonna be a pure compound. You're going to only have a pure compound and you're, you're going to have to go through FDA certification to use that as a drug. But then we have the nutritional supplement area, which as long as it's just a plant extract, and you're not trying to purify a compound, you can use that as a nutritional supplement in the over-the-counter market. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where a lot of companies are having problems in this space, and they're going too far. They're actually trying to purify CBD and sell that, and the FDA can and should have an issue with that. Mm -hmm. So what I always uh, advise people is don't do that. Make a plant extract, that plant extract will contain cannabinoids. It will also contain terpenes. And that's really close when we talk about traditional medicines. That really gets that, to the yeah, traditional absolutely. root, right? Yes. Because that's yeah. how it was, right. just the plant. And, and so back to traditional medicine, they, they still do that. And it's not just China. It's other countries in Asia, the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, have different methods for doing traditional medicine. 
it, when you now take that plant and you isolate a pure compound and only one compound and develop it as a drug, does it become a pharmaceutic? Well, Elliot, it is always a pleasure learning about your research and catching up on the things that you're doing. I appreciate you being on Out of the Blue. Happy to be here. And we'll be right back. Your MTSU Alumni Association has a goal of placing this pen on the lapel of all those who call this campus theirs. Let's pass that tradition on. Let's pass it on. Don't underestimate me. Don't count me out. Don't limit my potential. Don't block my runway. We are Middle Tennessee State University. I exceed expectations. I work harder than the rest. I set the tone. I still serve with honor. I go the distance. I am True Blue. I am True Blue. As a member of this diverse community, I am a valuable contributor to its progress and success. I am engaged in the life of this community. I'm a recipient and a giver. I'm a listener and a speaker. I am honest in word and deed. I am committed to reason, not violence. I am a learner. Now and forever. I am a Blue Raider. I am a Blue Raider. I'm a Blue Raider. True Blue. Pass the tradition on. Pass the tradition on. want the advantages of a major university with the Ivy League experience of an honors college? What you're looking for is right in front of you. Middle Tennessee State University's beautiful campus is home to over 140 majors taught in state-of-the-art facilities. Our undergraduates get hands-on experience, working alongside a highly respected and caring faculty. Take a closer look. Become True Blue. Middle Tennessee State University offers more than 100 master's and doctoral degrees designed for working professionals. Many of MTSU's graduate programs are offered partially or completely online. More information is available at mtsu.edu slash graduate. Middle Tennessee State University offers more than 100 master's and doctoral degrees designed for working professionals. Many of MTSU's graduate programs are offered partially or completely online. More information is available at mtsu.edu slash graduate. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. I'm Andrew Oppmann. Now you've probably heard the expression, you are what you eat, but can what you eat actually help ease the effects of aging? That's what Sandra Poirier, a professor of nutrition at MTSU's College of Behavioral and Health Sciences has put forward in several reports. And she joins us today on Out of the Blue to talk about this and a lot of other things. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you so much. What a career you've had. You've traveled all over the world. We were talking off camera about you were most, uh, we were very recently in Rome presenting a, a paper at a conference on food technology. A lot of amazing stuff that you're studying in the field of nutrition. Since I've teased to the effects of aging and how perhaps your diet can combat that, I was wondering if you could talk about some simple, easy things that most people should be doing differently regarding their diet that could help them grow old gracefully. Well, there are many different things that uh, individuals can do. Uh, starting with uh, just uh, cooking their own food mm -hmm. because you have control 
over what you're eating when you cook your own food. Uh, you, many times we get a lot of sodium in our diet and we get most of our sodium from processed foods. A lot of those foods are used in restaurants. And so we don't, uh, a lot of Americans especially are not using the salt shaker anymore. They're getting 75% of their sodium from processed foods. It's just hidden in the food we eat and we don't even put it on ourselves. We don't even realize it, mm -hmm. yes. You, we talked off camera a little bit about whole foods. And when you were talking about fixing your own food, I think that's what you were getting to, not the processed stuff, things that you can buy and fix in your own home and control. That's right, absolutely. That way you can control the kind of fat that you're using. Mm -hmm. uh, we are recommending a mono or polyunsaturated type fat like olive oil, canola oil. There are many good fats that can be used mm -hmm. as opposed to lard or the fats from red meats. Mm -hmm. um, coconut oil too is highly saturated. In fact, it's more saturated than butter. Hmm. So you need just to use that on occasion. Mm -hmm. Is it a challenge being, you know, we're in Tennessee and we're in the South and deep fried everything. I mean, do you find that you're having to sort of not only teach the uh, options of different types in different ways to think about your diet, but uh, sell them on the fact that maybe fried isn't the only answer to your food options? <laughs> and it's difficult to make change. Some of the manufacturers are coming out with air fryers. Mm. that will uh, give you the same sort of texture as fried food mm -hmm. and you can achieve a similar product. Mm -hmm. That same crispiness that yes. you, you're looking for, that crunch. Why is it important for your health and your combating aging to, to think about your diet? What, I, what are the things that people forget about those food choices? Well, I think they forget that we are very sophisticated with a research in this country that focuses on good nutritional habits. Research is uh, exhibited uh, in many forms that are connecting the resources out to the consumer. We have a number of different agencies, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the CDC, the FAO overseas, World Health. All this information. All this information for the general population. And we're not taking advantage of it, perhaps. Many times people are, we've got five food groups. Mm -hmm. We've got fruits and vegetables, and we've got grains, and we've got meat, and we have dairy. A lot of individuals are excluding one or two of the food groups, which contain many of the essential nutrients that are needed for uh, a proper health status, good health status. You know, you've, you've, you've had a lot of great published work. It was fun researching you uh, about your research. And one of the things I ran across is that you were included in a story uh, that Reader's Digest did called 15 Foods Anti-Aging Experts Eat Every Day. And one of the things when it came to your turn, you talked about that you drink three to four glasses of 1% fat milk every day. Yes. Why? Why is that? Well, I drink that because as a person ages, their bones become more brittle. And we need uh, to have the calcium and we need the vitamin D that we get from uh, milk. So whether you drink the uh, fat free or whether you drink the whole milk, you're getting the same amount of uh, calcium. 
And plus, it's one of the things you said you emphasize to your students that it's, it's best to get your nutrients from these foods. If you're on the go, that's at least one way, one source of those nutrients, correct? That's correct. Students in particular have uh, uh, their busy life you know, styles. Mm -hmm. and they're on the go. Many of them are working. And it's very easy for them to pick up uh, fast foods. Our fast foods are uh, quite cheap and they're uh, very convenient. And so uh, I have been in my classes emphasizing the need for them to plan, to think about preparing foods uh, possibly on the weekend and then having those foods in small containers. Either they can freeze them or they can keep them in the refrigerator for when they're real busy, thinking ahead and planning ahead, coming up with a list when you go in the grocery store. Most of the whole unprocessed foods are found on the perimeter of the grocery store. It's when you start down the aisles of the grocery store that you are seeing a lot more processed foods. And these manufacturers are very uh, savvy. They, put, uh, they bid on the level what shelf those foods will sit on. And so those at eye level get to be picked and more cases than those down at the bottom or at the very top of the grocery store mm. shelf. Well, before, I can't let you go in, until you talk to me a little bit about your engagement with students in your program. And it, I know that's one of the hallmarks of the College of Behavioral and Health Sciences. Talk about what students learn in your program and how they get involved in your research. Well, we've got a lot of very interesting projects right now. We just received a grant from the USDA, and we are uh, having a dual enrollment program with uh, the local high schools. We've got three different uh, high schools, and we are offering um, nutrition for the health sciences as a dual enrollment course. And those students, uh, we, we pay for their books and uh, offer them other opportunities to come on, on site here at MTSU. Well, Professor, it is a pleasure having you on Out of the Blue and learning all of these wonderful things that you're doing in this program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Your MTSU Alumni Association has a goal of placing this pin on the lapel of all those who call this campus theirs. Let's pass that tradition on. Let's pass it on. Don't underestimate me. Don't count me out. Don't limit my potential. Don't block my runway. We are Middle Tennessee State University. I exceed expectations. I work harder than the rest. I set the tone. I still serve with honor. I go the distance. I am True Blue. I am True Blue. As a member of this diverse community, I am a valuable contributor to its progress and success. I am engaged in the life of this community. I'm a recipient and a giver. I'm a listener and a speaker. I am honest in word and deed. I am committed to reason, not violence. I am a learner. Now and forever. I am a Blue Raider. I am a Blue Raider. I'm a Blue Raider. True Blue. Pass the tradition on. 
Pass the tradition on. Pass it on. Do you want the advantages of a major university with the Ivy League experience of an honors college? What you're looking for is right in front of you. Middle Tennessee State University's beautiful campus is home to over 140 majors taught in state-of-the-art facilities. Our undergraduates get hands-on experience, working alongside a highly respected and caring faculty. Take a closer look. Become True Blue. Don't underestimate me. Don't count me out. Don't limit my potential. Don't block my runway. We are Middle Tennessee State University. I exceed expectations. I work harder than the rest. I set the tone. I still serve with honor. I go the distance. I am True Blue. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. I'm Andrew Oppmann. It used to be said that you were entitled to your own opinions, but not your own facts. But in today's hypercharged world of intense opinions shared online and on the air in more ways than ever before, some feel that the weight of facts and evidence just isn't as heavy as it used to be. Here to share his thoughts and research is Kevin Cranbull, an assistant professor of education and author of a new book, The Decay of Truth in Education. Welcome down to the blue. Hi, I'm glad to be here. It's an honor. This is a very topical thing to, to bring up these days. I, um, I'd love for you to explain the title of your book and why you decided to explore this idea. Sure, going into education, I was excited about going into academia because I was imagining engaging in discourse and dialogue and um, battles. And I have found largely that's not been the case. It's been more of an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And part of that kind of led me towards this track of saying, why is that the case? And so back in 2016, I published an article which has received quite a bit of commentary specifically looking at a theory which is dominant in education called constructivism. Um, but at its core, the idea of constructivism is knowledge is built upon former knowledge. And it's a very solid theory of how um, the mind makes sense of information. But what's, what's not talked about with regard there is what that doesn't have anything to do with is whether that knowledge is correct. In our minds, we build knowledge or our beliefs upon different things there, and it does get stronger and stronger as things are connected to one another, but that is completely separate from whether or not those are accurate beliefs. And so I was a little worried that our focus was on this personal meaning making as opposed to, is our meaning making in line with reality? Um, so that, that was kind of what drove me to kind of get around that route. And um, ultimately in, in this book, I tried to build a case that largely in education, I argue also societally, uh, truth is really treated in many ways inconsequentially or mm -hmm. even manipulatively um, and used that way. I know it's like nailing jello to a wall to try to figure out why this is, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the why. How did we get here? I think really there's three primary factors that I'm going to kind of cite here. And so the first one is very interesting, and that's the, actually the change and the shift of access to information. So the fact that we have moved in the past 50 years to a world in which it was inf characterized by information scarcity, moving into information overload, mm -hmm. has completely opened up the doors of things. When you think of 100 years back, information was available, but it was filtered through outlets and particular uh, venues, universities, libraries. They had experts kind of uh, controlling what was allowed and not allowed. Mm -hmm. The open access is a great thing with great potential, 
but it's also just an open access. And the internet is no library. It is just a dumping ground for anything by anyone. And so it ultimately, that, that's one of these first factors I think is really important to understand there, that with all the great and benefits of this unlimited access to information, where literally, in my phone here, I've got more access than 99.9% .9 of humanity in the history of life before me mm -hmm. at my fingertips. But quite frankly, I don't know how to interact with it unless I'm rich in the knowledge in those areas. I lack the ability to identify what's quality, high quality, medium quality, low quality, from garbage. The second factor I think is in play is what, what I kind of term the primacy of the personal, in that that's the specific focus I make in my book here, because I look at this learning theory constructivism as it's applied to the classroom. Everything's always said, well, what does this mean to you? Mm -hmm. What does this mean in your case? We see this on a larger scale societally when we say, I'm speaking as an X. This immediately sets up a wall where you're no longer allowed to challenge me because I have framed it as speaking as an X. I'm not presenting an argument. I'm presenting this is my identity view and you cannot challenge it. Mm. And so by shaping everything through this very uh, this primacy of the personal, the subjectivist uh, kind of lens there, I think that really it's, uh, it's equated for many people this notion that my belief is truth. And you'll hear people say my truth and these sorts of things, which doesn't make sense if truth is independent of us. Right, right. So those are kind of the two first factors. The last factor is, in the book I spent a lot of time arguing with this one because this is probably more of my home people whom I'm with here, but the politicization of research. And that if you look over the past few decades, there's a lot of different fields which have emerged with um, what I'll kind of classify as largely advocacy masquerading as research. And that is particularly dangerous because when researchers, scientists, experts, as we are, um, are out there and we are interweaving advocacy with research, it's very difficult for lay people to determine which of these things are you doing and which are facts, which are opinions, which are the facts based upon which kind of evidence. And there's a, so it becomes a muddying of water. So I think those three factors are really at play there. The access to information, this primacy of the personal, and then also this kind of politicization of research. What are the things that you feel fights the decay of truth. How do I help myself? Yeah, that's the, that's the big question, right? And so in my book, I tried to play a little bit of responding to this, but I'll, I'll look a little beyond that here and thinking of some other things there. And so the first thing I think that all of us should do is one, acknowledge our prior beliefs. As such, you need to acknowledge what you believe coming to the table. What are your values? What is it you actually know about this subject? And how is that going to skew what I hear? Because when we interpret information we're not familiar with, it's always interpreted through what we already know or believe that we know. The second thing I think you can look at is kind of basically just learning basic rules of logic. Um, logic has widely been gutted from schools. Um, mm. uh, it was never an option at all in my career, and I wish it would have been. As I encountered it later in life, I thought this was one of the greatest tools I've ever come across. Simply things like the law of non-contradiction, or the law of identity, or logical fallacies like an ad hominem attack, um, or a straw man argument. Some basic um, availability, this is where you can leverage that first problem I said, the access to information, it's at your fingertips. And you can dive and learn some of these rules on your own, and it will infinitely improve your ability to engage with discourse that's often loaded with a lot of fallacious arguments. And the, the last ones I'll kind of, I'll, I'll talk about is in terms of interacting with information, I think that we need to one, presume good intentions. It seems to me largely a lot of us have moved to a position where we assume the worst of everyone mm -hmm. around us. And I think on a small scale thing where if I'm reading a text, my first thought is, unless there's an emoji with it, I'm gonna be assuming <laughs> they've said something mean, right? <laughs> the default we go to. So we need to presume good attentions and secondarily be humble. Recognize that we are not going to be 
accurate about everything in all of our lives, and we need to be willing to say, I used to think, but now I think. And if we're not willing to do that, I don't think we have a chance to overcome this, this crisis. So Kevin, the decay of truth in education available on? Well, I'll take the risk, you can Google it. Um, <laughs> look up my name in that, and it'll pop up. You'll find it on Amazon as well. Amazon, fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us on Out of the Blue and sharing all your research. It's been an honor, thank you. And this does wrap up another edition of Out of the Blue. You can find more stories and videos about the campus 24 hours a day by visiting our website, mtsunews.com. And we invite you to follow MTSU on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for additional special content. I'm Andrew Ottman, and I hope you will always remain true blue. Out of the Blue is broadcast on Murfreesboro Cable Channel 9, Monday through Sunday, 7 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. News Channel 5 Plus and MTSU student station, MT10. It's also available on other cable outlets in Middle Tennessee, so check your local listings. Out of the Blue is a production of MTSU's Division of Marketing and Communications and MTSU Audiovisual Services in the College of Education. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.